All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Fitness Education Online Podcast, the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business. If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. Welcome, guys, to another episode of Bro Science here with the Fitness Education Online Podcast. Really excited for this one. This is right down the alley of fitness professionals. And this is something that uh, if any of you have ever done your first aid, which I'm sure all of you have done your first aid, uh, if any of you have done it multiple times over and over again, you know, myself, I think I must have done my first aid at least five or six times. And this is something that has been pretty consistent in all of them. There's been minor changes, minor evolutions. So we're going to really dive into this one thing that I... The last time I got to it, first aid, it was still in there. So this is going to be a bit of a wrinkle and maybe uh, challenging the authority system a little bit. But uh, first things first, I'll welcome Dr. Craig Matern, my younger brother. Thank you for joining us again for another rep of Bro Science. Oh, thank you, Travis. It's uh, great to be back. I'm really enjoying spending some quality time together over Zoom during this uh, Sydney lockdown. That's it. That's it. Well, and doing something a bit productive, right? Yeah, it's great actually. It's um, it's really good. It keeps uh, keeps me thinking about different things from different perspectives, and we've already had a couple of awesome chats. So, looking forward to another one today. Yeah, so this one is like I mentioned. This is a real relevant one for fitness professionals um, because this is something that I'm sure everyone has heard over and over again, and it's a common thing and a common theme that we've done through our first aid. Uh, and I, and I'm assuming this would be a global thing for, for every or most countries for their first aid. Uh, we're going to be talking about the concept of, well, currently I believe in Australia it is RISA, uh, rest, ice, uh, rest, immobilize, ice, elevate, and refer. So what you get in your first aid. So, you know, if you've got ankle sprains or all that sort of stuff. Uh, for a few other variations that you may be aware of, there's high rise, which includes hydration and ibuprofen to that mix. Price, which is protection into the mix. Um, another price, which is pulse, uh, which is, yeah, I don't, have to, I don't know what that one is. We've got uh, prices, which is adds protection and support. We've got prints, which adds NSAID. Is there a... NSAIDs, that's ibuprofen. So that's uh, anti-inflammatories. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And uh, then we've got RISA, which is the one we commonly use. There's also a DRICE, which is diagnosis, RICE, uh, <laughs> diagnosis, rest, ice, compression, elevation. And then there's also a police, which I, this is a different one completely, protection, optimal loading, ice, compression, and elevation. So as you can see, over the years, there's been uh, lots of variations of this. And depends on where you are, you might have a slightly, learnt a slightly different one. Uh, but what we're going to talk about today is some of the evidence behind the basic principle of RISA. So rest, immobilize, cold and elevate, followed by referral. And we're going to be chatting about what there is that supports this and maybe what we could be doing that's a little bit different. So do you want to dive in first? First question is RISA. What have we got that says that this is the best potential treatment for you know, soft tissue injuries? Yeah, so it's interesting. So, so yeah, uh, I guess there's a few distinctions. So what we're talking about here is, is essentially soft tissue injuries. So 
Um, sprains and strains mostly is, is what we're looking at. So not talking about broken bones or dislocations or any of those more traumatic injuries, but we're looking at, at sprained ankles, um, you know, pulled hammies, um, all those, you know, calf strains, all those typical ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, even in med school, like, um, the, the main teaching is for us as, as uh, clinical professionals, we just use uh, rice, so rest, ice, compress and elevate, um, noting that we're sort of the, the referral path ourselves. So it's the what end we of still the end of the chain? And, well, yeah, we're, we're certainly... Maybe uh, you uh, might um, refer to a specialist. Exactly. We're the, we're, 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 we're the meat of part of the chain, but um, the, there is definitely other avenues to go down. Um, and, and we've had this discussion before about the, the role of general practice in terms of musculoskeletal medicine. And I'm a big advocate for physiotherapy being right up there as probably the the mainstay of musculoskeletal injuries uh, as a general uh, first point of call. So um, what's the evidence? It's not great, to be honest. So why do we do rice? Because it kind of makes sense. And that's pretty much what we've always done, um, to put it bluntly. So um, it has occasionally been studied. Uh, that's probably a, that's probably an understatement. It, it has been studied, but there's not really any great evidence for it. Um, and the, the evidence is starting to direct that some of the things that we're actually doing um, can be harmful. So uh, what I am going to try and teach our, our listeners today is something that I learned on my uh, during my sports med training. And um, our professor essentially stood up and said, rice is dead. It's time for peace and love. So that's really what we're going to get into um, when we talk about what we should be doing. So just, I guess, to back up... Um, uh, the question about rice. You actually sent me a study uh, earlier today, Trav. Did you you've had a look at that study? Yeah. So this is a study specifically on ankle sprains. Apparently, ankle sprains. One ankle sprain occurs in every ten thousand people each day. Fifty uh, percent of them are sport related, and the other fifty percent are just you know random stuff. Which um, Claudia, if you're listening, this is the day you're seeing your physio after you rolled your ankle whilst in lockdown because you were sitting on it. Your foot fell asleep. And you got up and started walking. So that's how some of these ankle sprains can occur. So I just wanted to share that one because that one's a bit of fun. So if your foot's asleep, try not to walk across the house because you might sprain your ankle. But this particular study... High um, heels as well, Travis. High heels, common offender. High heels, yes. That, no surprise there. So this particular study looked specifically at ankle sprains. And what it found was essentially the conclusion... Insufficient evidence is available from randomized controlled trials to determine the relative relative effectiveness of rice therapy for acute ankle sprains. So despite the fact that this has been, I would imagine, a quite heavily studied um, thing over time, like you mentioned, there's not a lot of evidence that just says this actually works really well. This is, you know, this is hands down the best possible thing. And this was, yeah, this was done uh, over you know, 24 potential illegal trials. Uh, it was a whole heap of different studies put together. And, um, yeah, so it, was a review, it was a review of the evidence. This is not one little trial. This is looking across a large breadth of evidence to see if ankle sprains, one of the most common things, um, are, are, are best treated by rice. And it says well, there's no evidence to say that's the case. So that'll be, that'll be in the show notes as well. But what we're going to get into is the other side of things that Craig has mentioned. And there's a couple of things here that I've I, got a couple I, of things to, to chime yeah, in first, just, just to talk a little bit about this. And it's really relevant. I think it's something that we should look at. So, you know, um, where are these injuries happening? Um, and, and as we said, with, you know, there's 
funny little anecdotes of all sorts of odd ways that people injure their injure themselves. I guess a couple of little anecdotes I'll say. Probably one of the most common ways we see a bunch of injuries, and, and a big one's actually meniscal tears in the knee, um, is stepping off gutters. So a really common one that I see, either people running or walking and moving from the road to the gutter or the... the, the um, or Just the, like missing the, the step sort of thing? Yeah, just missing the step and jarring. Really common for ankle sprains, really common for, um, for meniscal tears. Um, and then I guess if we're thinking about the sports, what do you reckon? So, so I'm obviously um, in the defence force. What do you reckon the number one uh, cause of sporting injuries is in the Australian defence force? Noting that pretty much all mainstream sports are, uh, you know, there's an ADF component in pretty much all mainstream sports. What do you, what do you reckon the, the highest rate of injuries is, is uh, caused by? Like percentage-wise? Uh, you probably or just like, or or like the most numbers, risky? numbers. Okay. So what, I was going to say parachuting. Uh, I was going to say that's probably a pretty big one. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking sport. I'm talking sport. I'm not talking occupational risk. So the ADF to maintain our fitness and readiness, we, we play a lot of sports. I'm heavily involved uh, running. in... Is running a sport? Uh, well, you know, that's probably more chronic sort of stuff. I'm talking about team organized sports. What do you reckon? Because obviously, you know, I tell people I play rugby league and everyone's like, oh, you know, obviously rugby league is going to be the number one culprit. Um, and, and, you know, we've got to get approval from our superiors to play sports. Yep. And so they have their own perceptions of what's risky and what's not risky. But what's the, what's the riskiest sport? What's, gonna, what's the most likely to send someone off and come back with an injury? Could be anything. There's so many. I don't... Netball, do netball, basketball. Touch football. Number Touch one football. cause of injuries. So a lot of people who talk about not wanting to play contact sports because of the risk of injuries. And they're like, we'll just play touch footy. Um, big cause of injuries. Big cause of all sorts of injuries. People blow their shoulders out, diving for things. People do their knees, their ankles, all that sort of stuff. So um, contact and non-contact does not necessarily equate to injuries, not injuries. Similarly, netball, non-contact sport, massive cause of injuries as well. But we don't have a lot of netball in the idea. So, um, yeah, that was just a little anecdote that I thought would be interesting. Because a lot of people uh, have a knee-jerk reaction that the, the, more, the more aggressive the contact, the more likely the injuries, but not the case. So what we're going to be looking at in here, you mentioned, was the acronyms PEACE and LOVE. So what I want you to do just now is take us through what those acronyms stand for, and then we're going to have a look at comparing them. Let's take a quick break. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. Yeah, we'll do. So there's a there's a few um, foundational uh, concepts here that that sort of form these because there's been a few key parts of rice that have been identified as as not actually beneficial. And I guess just to get them out in the way, so ice is the first one. There's not actually great evidence that ice is all that good for you. And I'll, I'll talk about a couple of different studies where they've actually found that ice, icing can actually be um, harmful. The other big one is anti-inflammatory medications. Continues to be a bit of a theoretical cause, but, but those are the two big ones that we're actually leaning towards avoiding. So 
actually moving away from icing as a, as a knee-jerk reaction and moving away from routine early anti-inflammatory. So well, peace that, and that, love. What is that's it? actually one of the things I was going to touch on there because of those, uh, you know, when we looked at Prince and a few of those other ones, anti-inflammatories were, were a big part of them. Yeah, definitely. So it is a, it has been a mainstay. And obviously ICE, like the original acronym, the very first acronym was ICE, I-C-E, mm. ICE Compress Elevate. And so pretty much all of them have kept that 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 icing component um, in it. But but there is actually some evidence. Do you want me to get into that now or do you want me to um, to go uh, through the acronym? Let's, let's go through Peace and Love. Yeah, yeah, Peace and Love. So um, this is a, a two-stage approach. So one's about the initial injury. And so the first couple of days, and then one's about the return to activity. So it's a bit more holistic than just RISA, which is just what you're doing the, the instant someone injures themselves. So the P is for protection. So that's, that's really identifying that rest is harmful to musculoskeletal issues. Okay. So, and that gets back to the importance of exercise being medicine. So we really want to avoid ever telling people to not do anything. You just need to protect the injured limb. So um, one of the worst things, and this goes across all sorts of things. So one of the worst things for an acute back pain or acute flare of back pain is what we used to do was get them to lie on a wooden board for a couple of days. And we found that that's just so much worse. So we don't actually want to rest people. We want to, we want to protect the injured part to not make it worse, but we want to keep them moving because there's lots of benefits to that. So P is for protection. And that's avoid activities and movements that increase pain during the first few days of injury. So the reason that we have pain is to signal when there is tissue damage. And that is the, the purpose of acute pain. There's a whole different talk about acute and chronic pain and when pain no longer serves that purpose. But we're talking after an acute injury, that is the pain that should be giving you an indication of what is good for you to do and what is potentially harmful. Then we're moving on to E. E is elevate. Elevate has been a consistent part of things. And what we're mainly trying to do here is minimize the amount of swelling. So the key thing being um, when there is damage and, and issues, there's two ways that swelling happens. One is an immediate swelling, and that's usually due to blood loss into the tissues. So if you bust your ankle and it puffs up straight away, that probably means you've damaged a blood vessel and it's filled up with blood. You want to prevent that happening because if that happens, it will slow down your recovery. Um, you don't want a large pool of blood anywhere because that just slows things down because you've got to wait for that to all be reabsorbed and to be tidied up. The second thing that causes swelling is that inflammatory response. And that can start over, a, it's a four-phase process for anyone who's got a bit of a biology background. Um, and what happens is that starts and that escalates over days. And that's why swelling happens gradually. And that's not from blood itself, that's from the inflammatory cascade that's happening. And that is part of the reparative process. But you want to you temper that down to avoid it becoming you know, more of a problem uh, than the original injury. So elevating the limb higher than the heart as often as possible. And that is to minimize, one, the swelling from initial blood loss and two, the follow-up inflammatory swelling. The A of peace and love is avoid anti-inflammatories. So what it actually, and this says, avoid taking anti-inflammatory medications as they reduce tissue healing and avoid icing, okay? And, and we'll probably go this into detail a bit more separately. Um, most of that advice is theoretical based on some some studies that we'll probably go into um down the track but that's saying in the first three days of your injury 48 72 hours probably shouldn't be taking anti-inflammatories because inflammation is a way that we um stimulate uh, stimulate healing 
and we probably shouldn't be icing. And I'll go into that as well. So um, the next part of peace and love is C for compression. Again, mainstay of, of all those um, algorithms and that in combination with elevation is to reduce the amount of blood loss and the amount of swelling. So using an elastic bandage or taping to reduce swelling. And then E is education. So this is one thing that we're really pushing in trying to develop musculoskeletal medicine um, past the dark ages, because it's been in the dark ages for a long time. Um, so your body knows best. You need to avoid unnecessary passive treatments and medical investigations that aren't necessary and let nature play its role. So what we're talking about here is a lot of, there's not a lot of evidence for a lot of passive treatments. So what I mean when I talk about passive treatments is probably relevant to a lot of the allied health world. And so what I'm going to say is there's not a lot of evidence for what happens to you for the half an hour that you're on the table at the physio, okay? Or the chiro or the osteopath or whatever, or the, the masseuse, okay? You get symptom relief and it can help with muscle tightness and it can make you feel better and it can improve mobility and all that sort of stuff. But in terms of the evidence for recovering from soft tissue injuries and most injuries, the thing, the benefit that you get from those practitioners is not the half an hour that you're on the table, but the 23 and a half hours of the day that are left when you do your prescribed rehab and your prescribed exercises to, to improve that. But what we don't want to do is we don't want someone spending hours and hours on someone's table, spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get things that aren't evidence-based. So we don't want a lot of passive treatment. We want active things. So what we mean by active things is actual rehabilitation exercises driven by the individual um, as tolerated. And then the other part of that is avoiding medical indications. That's a whole separate talk that we'll go down to, but medicalizing things causes harm. We really do not want to get into a situation where we are making people really um, more health anxious and concerned because we over-investigate. Because we often don't need to investigate these things because a lot of them will get better and the evidence is really, really strongly supports that. So that's peace. That's the first part. Any, any feedback on that first half, Trap? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a bunch of questions I have around uh, some of these, these elements to start with. So protection compared to rest. Now, I suppose what that refers to is rest was probably a general term as opposed to resting the particular area. So, you know, like if you've done your ankle, you probably need to make sure you're not on that, you know, you're not going for a jog right on that ankle, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas I suppose protection is more, okay, well, what can you do that doesn't cause injury? Maybe you can still get on a bicycle, you know, maybe you can still work on those. Is that, would that be an accurate? Yeah. So the, the, the two, there's, there's really two main things for the protection. The first being, um, immobility causes uh, things to tighten up and be restricted. So we don't want to, so when we say rest, one, we don't want people to become inactive because mm -hmm. inactivity does not people help people recover from the in injuries and is not beneficial for their health. And two, we don't want people strictly immobilizing injured joints because if you immobilize something uh, that is not a broken uh, bone, because we need to immobilize broken bones so they heal up. But anyone who's broken a bone, so if you've had a broken ankle and you've been in a cast or a boot for six weeks, um, those people have a hell of a time getting their ankles moving again. It's the same as if you bust your elbow, like I did a few years back. If you do not getting, get that moving early, you will never move it again. So one of the really important things of understanding rest is one, we want to keep, if a joint is meant to move, we want to keep it moving 
um, within the range that is not painful. So even if you roll your ankle, you actually want to get it moving as soon as possible to whatever limits you can tolerate from your pain. Because it's really important because things will stiffen up and, and joint um, stiffness is a real problem with joint injuries. Uh, so you don't want to immobilize and you don't want to um, rest the entire body. You want to take it easy, give yourself a chance to recover, but you want to focus on maintaining your overall health and get as much early movement and early mobility back as possible. That's a really big one for ankles. So we used to put people in boots for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. The evidence is now really the boot, maybe for a couple of days, but you really want to get it moving if you want to get back um, on deck sooner rather than later. Then the the next one I want to touch on there a little bit is the avoiding anti-inflammatories and into avoiding ice. So with a couple of, like a couple of those other acronyms were really, yeah, that's what a big part of those acronyms were, right? Ice or, or even anti-inflammatories. Now, I just want to touch on anti-inflammatories specifically uh, for us non-medical folk. Does that, what sort of over-the-counter stuff would that include? Does that, is that Panadol? Is that Nurofen? Is that Voltaren? Is it all of them? Um, what, what are the sort of standard things you might get over-the-counter? Yeah, so, so the terminology is non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or NSAIDs is the acronym. So NSAIDs is what you'll often see. And so that's because steroids like cortisone, they are potent anti-inflammatories. So then there's a class of medications that are also anti-inflammatories, but they're non-steroidal. So they don't have all the side effects that you get with these um, corticosteroids. So in terms of things that we see that are non-steroidals, so NSAIDs, aspirin, Ibuprofen, so Nurofen or Brufen or any of the generic names of that. Voltaren, which is Diclofenac. Um, naproxen, which is Naprosyn. Uh, Meloxicam, which is Mobic. You know, Celebrex, which is Celecoxib. Um, all those medications are non-steroidal uh, anti-inflammatories. So the reason that we're moving away from using non-steroidals is because they're good at relieving pain. But the way the body heals itself is through the inflammatory response but it's a delicate balance. So we don't want to overdo it. We don't want to flood the injury with lots of blood from a ruptured blood vessel. And we don't want to allow the inflammatory response to overdo it because we know that the inflammatory response can be excessive. You know, that's what causes a lot of the, the mortality with COVID is your immune system doing too much. So the same thing can happen with, with uh, uh, musculoskeletal injuries and soft tissue injuries. Your immune system's not... Um, you know, it's not a delicate, uh, you know, uh, it hasn't got a lot of finesse, you know, it often hits things with a sledgehammer when they only need a, you know, a little light tap. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to elevate and compress to reduce the massive overdoing the inflammatory response, but we don't want to completely shut it off because those inflammatory um, responses is what causes healing. Inflammation is there to promote healing. So, the theoretical concern is if you smash anti-inflammatories hard at the start of an injury, you may actually block some of those initial factors that assist with healing. So that's why we're talking about avoiding anti-inflammatories. Again, a lot of that is, um, is lab-based evidence. Um, there's not a great amount of real world in practice data. So it's, it's, a theoretical, it's a theoretical extrapolation of what it looks like we think would be happening and it, and it makes sense. So what we suggest is using other forms of pain relief because all you're losing the anti-inflammatories for is to help with the pain and maybe to dampen down the excessive in 
inflammatory response. So we can dampen that excessive response by elevating the limb and compressing so that things can't um, uh, go too far. Um, and because, you know, if it gets really swollen and puffy, it gets more immobile and, and it adds to that um, immobility issue. But we can really, we can counter that with other things. We can use Panadol, we can use other stronger painkillers as required. And, um, you know, there's other methods of, of seeking pain relief and protecting the injury. Like if you get a good, um, uh, you know, a, a good supportive brace or something like that can help. So, so it doesn't mean that if you take some Nurofen after you roll your ankle, that it's never going to get better. And obviously that's not the case because lots of people have done it. You know, the number of sports injuries I've had and taken anti-inflammatories, they do get better. This is a very theoretical thing. And that's why it says avoid. It doesn't say don't do it, never do it. It's avoid it. If you don't need it, you know, probably steer clear. If you've tried all the other forms of pain relief and that's all you've got, it's probably not inappropriate. But just be mindful that there is a risk it may slow down healing. So the second part of that, is one that is I find quite interesting because it is I suppose all the rage at the moment um and I suppose the difference is the localized nature of it potentially it's the avoid icing so cold therapy or all that sort of stuff like it's all sort of the rage at the moment with cold showers and ice baths and all of this sort of stuff is that different because this is like a localized injury is that where this is different or I mean that's probably you know, maybe we can touch on it, but it might be a whole other episode later on. But like, why why are we so often now encouraged to cold shower all of this stuff, which is cold therapy, so to speak, but then avoiding putting ice on a low like a local injury, your ankle or knee? Yeah. So yeah. So um, great question. And essentially, yeah, two different topics. So the whole cold therapy. Um, we're, that, that's a great topic for us to have a chat about at a different time. Definitely lots of good evidence uh, that's emerging around the, the overall benefits for, that, benefits for that, but that's overall health benefits and recovery benefits um, as opposed to dealing with an injury. The reason that we're talking about this is with, with injuries. And again, it comes back to probably more of a theoretical approach. So one of the things that they did, um, they actually did this study in mice. So they inflicted a, a quadriceps tear in mice to cause a quadriceps hematoma. Uh, one of them, they left alone by, you know, just allowed it to settle and heal on itself. Another one, they iced. And then what they did is muscle biopsies down the track to see the difference. The ones that had the quadriceps hematomas that were iced had significantly larger amounts of muscle scarring. So the theory is that icing an acute injury where there might be blood in the tissues impacts the way the tissues repair and increases the level of scarring in the tissues. So the risk is probably more so for muscle belly issues. So probably more a case of if you've got a big, uh, you know, a big blue or hamstring or you've got a mid-substance quadriceps tear or a calf tear, that's probably the ones where the evidence is actually showing that longer term, if you want to have healthier muscle down the track, you actually shouldn't be putting ice on those things. Um, regarding joints, I think it's probably less of an issue. So, so ironically... You know, I probably still would ice an ankle, um, especially if it's quite puffy and swollen, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to constrict the blood flow and reduce that um, the bleeding initially, and also reduce the over-the-top inflammatory response. So it's finding a bit of a balance. Um, but the evidence for that one, the specific evidence is in like mid-tissue mid muscle tears. But again, that's lab evidence being extrapolated. But there's a thought that it can increase scarring in muscle tissue. Okay, so I mean... That's sort of my questions around uh, peace there. So just just going over that, we've got peace, 
as protection, elevation, avoid anti-inflammatories and ice, uh, compression, and education. Now, the second part of this acronym is love. Now, is this done like peace first? Once you've ticked off peace, then you move to love? Or is this like, you know, like just purely sequential or is it, you know, does it all work? Yeah, no, together? so two, two separate things. So peace and okay. love. Peace is immediately after injury. Um, so do no harm and let peace guide your approach is the little the little title of the 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 study that suggested this in, in the British Journal of Sports Medicine that came out. Um, I think this actually came out in 2019, was uh, 2020, January 2020 from a 2019 paper. So peace is your initial thing. So that's, that's at the time of injury, first, you know, 48, 72 hours. That's what we're talking about there. And then, and that, so that essentially the peace is what's replacing rice. The love is a new thing. So the love is actually, um, uh, the love is actually trying to work out how we're going to get people back on the paddock. So it's not so much um, the sideline treatment but it's trying to move forward. So love. So this is after the first few days have passed, soft tissues need love. So the first thing of the, the second, uh, second acronym is L for load. So what we're going to do is you're going to let you, the pain be a, be a key guide for your return to gradual, um, return to normal activities. And your body will give you an idea of when it's safe to, to increase that load. This is probably another reason just to be mindful about excessive use of anti-inflammatories and pain relief. Because as you're rehabbing, you want that pain to be a bit of a, a, a feedback mechanism for knowing if you're doing too much or going too far. So that's, that's the L is load. So reloading, getting back uh, on, on, on top of things and, and sort of moving forward. Next one is optimization. So this is a bit more of a holistic sort of um, wellness approach and, and it's the importance of people having a sense of, like the term we use is self-efficacy. And what that essentially means is if somebody thinks they're able to do something, the evidence shows that they're far more likely to do it. I think so, this would be a whole other awesome topic. By the yeah, way, so when I was reading about, this just now, I'm like, yeah. this sounds like it's a whole topic on its own. <laughs> yeah, so, but it is really important because if I've got a patient who comes into, the, into my clinic and they've got an injury, especially a chronic injury, best example, they've got chronic low back pain and they've they're convinced you know they've had uh they've had invest investigations that probably weren't necessary they're convinced by all the medicalization and the jargon that you know their back is is stuffed and it'll never be better and they don't ever see themselves getting better and every time things like if they if they have that mindset of i'm crippled by this injury and i couldn't possibly um do something make such a difference like i guess the best example was that um the Diamond Dallas Page yoga video of the army veteran who was in a wheelchair or on two crutches. That's a good one to link in, that is a link great in the video. study. So yeah, if you've not seen so this, if you've got, we'll, we'll add that in the show notes. If you've not seen that video, it is a really moving video. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, but it just shows the importance, like a whole different topic of me talking about how medicalization and excessive investigation is just so damaging to people. Um, but if you actually have the mindset of setting a goal on certain activities it just makes such a difference and so you know a lot of these a lot of these elite level athletes you know if they were if they were walking into a regular gp's practice they would have been told to stop doing these things years ago mm. like uh, you know the number of time people are, are, are told by health professionals to not do things you know it kills me so I'll, I'll throw i'll throw in the fitness example there that we get all the time is 
you get someone turning up to a session and their their doctor, they've gone to their doctor and said, look, my knee hurts when I squat or my knee hurts when I lunge. And my doctor told me I shouldn't squat or lunge. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the conversation then typically from our point of view goes, okay, so if you're not going to squat or lunge ever again, how do you plan to get out of your car? How do you plan to get off the toilet seat? How do you plan to get out of bed? If you're never going to squat or lunge again, you know, like if you're never going to use those movement patterns, and this is, this is a common thing that you hear over and over from, from clients coming back or who are complaining about, I'm assuming it's like a bit of patella tendonitis or, or whatever it might be. Right. And it's just, it's it's a common message. It's like, okay, well, just don't squat. That, that oh, solves the problem. Me. It it absolutely kills me. So I'm I am in the defense force, and I had a meniscal injury in my knee, which I rehabbed non-surgically and a, and a partial ACL tear to kick it. I rehabbed non-surgically, and one of the restrictions I was given um, from a medical point of view was unfit for repetitive squatting. And I was like, that is the most ridiculous thing. That is the one thing that has kept my knee. And so I obviously went rogue and kept squatting and I've started squatting far more than I ever did before I injured my knees and my knees and my back are far better for it because I'm squatting uh, intelligently. The, pro- the restriction probably said is because it says unfit repetitive squatting. So I just, so then I just do uh, one rep maxes. That's probably a bad idea. So, <laughs> so realistically it should say fit for repetitive squatting, unfit for doing stupid stuff and, and going load higher than you can handle. But, but yeah, coming back to the point, it is just so important to empower people to get moving and get better. If they're convinced that things aren't going to get better, it's going to make such a difference. Like think of Jana Pittman before the 2004 Olympics. Like she went in and had a meniscectomy like 10 days before she was meant to run. You know, the number of people, uh, if they just were like, oh, yep, I've injured my knee, I'm done. You know, it's three to six months recovery. Then that's it. You know, I think she ended up getting a silver medal or something in the end. Like, you know, what a disappointment. As you do. As you do, like, and then after, and then after that, you you go and become a doctor, and yeah, as you do, yeah, and like go to Australia and represent in bobsled in the Winter Olympics. That's a whole different topic. We'll have to get her on one time. We might um, be able to do that. I have a few connections. <laughs> I think she's busy doing SAS Australia, to be honest. Um, so yeah, so optimism—it's really important. Like people, people see this part and they get a bit put off if they're in the medical fraternity because they're like, "Oh, what's this? You know, what's this BS?" But you know, mindset is everything. So. It is actually awesome that someone's put this down as one of the key things to getting people back on the paddock and recovering from injury is optimism. Condition your brain for optimal recovery by being confident and positive. Cool. Next one is V. V is for vascularization. So um, this, is a, this is a really important thing. So what you want to do is you want to get the blood pumping. So how do, how do tissues heal themselves? By the inflammatory process. How do the inflammatory processes get to where they need to be? through blood flow. So you actually want to get, um, if you can increase your blood flow to the injured tissues, once once the swelling's reduced and once the acute injury stopped, it makes it better. So if you've got a busted ankle, you know, chuck a moon boot on and get on the rowing machine, you know, or, or do the, the arm, the ski erg with your arm or do something else. So do some other cardiovascular activity to get the blood flow going because it, it is good for your overall health and it will actually be good for that injury. And then finally, E is for exercise. And so that's really that's really about return to sport. So restore your mobility, build your strength back, rebuild your proprioception. So proprioception, is that something that, that PT, is that a term PTs would be familiar with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would assume yeah. so. 
Yeah, so essentially, like the best way to explain it is proprioception is your ability to know where your limbs are in space. So it's the reason why you can shut your eyes and touch your nose, okay? And so what happens is a lot of the nerve endings that give you that proprioceptive feedback are within the tendons and in the ligaments. And so they get, they get stretch feedback. And the most common one is ankle injuries. If you tear your ankle ligaments, you tear the nerve endings that give you the feedback of what your foot is doing. And you, you, that that is one of the ones I remember is you, you close your eyes and try to balance and you got nothing if you've got an ankle injury. It's just like, as soon as you close, like there's no balance there at all. Yeah, so, so ankles is the perfect example. So you lose that proprioceptive feedback. So once someone rolls their ankle, if they don't recover it, if they don't uh, rehab it properly, they will roll it again and again and again. And so the key for ankle rehabilitation is a proprioceptive rehabilitation. So what we do is you get them on a wobble board as soon as they can tolerate it and you get them wobbling on that board like a pro surfer or a pro Olympic skateboarder. Now they can be, um, again, a side topic, but really important to rebuild that proprioceptive, rebuild that balance, rebuild that feedback to, present, to prevent further injuries. And that helps you to adopt an active approach to recovery. So just on that one, on a wobble board, that's one of those half wheel, like maybe a BOSU ball potentially sort of thing. So, what? so I wouldn't, I wouldn't go BOSU ball. Um, the, the, I'd go to little metal half dome. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I was more picturing. The BOSU balls, the BOSU balls are half a Swiss ball. Yeah, yeah. The wobble so, boards is the is like a half a metal sphere. On with a board. that in mind, I always actually found more difficult those foam ones. You know, those dense foam, standing on the dense foam, I always found that more challenging on the ankle as opposed to like one of those rolling around boards. Any, any yeah, thoughts? Yes, so I guess, or... uh, yeah. So it's important to be able to um, deal with unpredictable changes. But one of the things with the wobble board is the way you should be retraining is to actually control. So essentially, if you think of a wobble board as like a north, south, east, west, you know, forward, back, left, right. So you should be able to pretty much tap out a rhythm with uh, with that injured ankle of, you know, forward, back, left, right, oh, left, left, right, okay. forward, back, you know, like a dance, dance revolution uh, uh, routine. So that's the thing about the wall board is you can actually build that focused strength with your rehabilitation because there's different structures around the ankle that control the ankle rolling in, rolling out, pointing the toes up, pointing the toes down. Funny, so I've, you never, can I've never had it that. done that way before. Yeah, so that's the, the evidence is is actually get on a wobble board early. Uh, and I guess we can talk about ankle sprains because it's a big part of it. So um, grade three ankle sprains. So if we talk about grading of injuries, grade one is a stretch and uh, a stretch without any looseness in the joint. Grade two is stretch with some joint looseness, but still intact. Grade three is an entire disruption. So whenever they're talking about ligamentous tears, so three is it's completely busted. One is it's a little niggled, but not... not um, structurally impaired and two is a little bit of structural impairment so a little bit of stretch but still intact so a partial tear so essentially grade three ankle injuries uh, you know the common sense approach would say you know ligaments don't heal themselves if you've had a grade three injury you need surgery right is that would that be a fair i i would have thought that was only on certain ones like acls and stuff like that because i'm sure that i've correct. done some pretty major damage on my ankle that may have been correct correct but there there is a lot of people that get ankle reconstructions after a grade three tear because they are of the of the opinion that there's an anatomical um, disruption that is not going to heal itself so you no doubt won't have an atfl which is the anterior talar fibula ligament in your ankle that's the common one that you tear when you sprain your ankle you don't have one, but you can recover with the supporting structures. So uh, with six weeks on a wobble board, 80% of people with a grade three ankle injury will get back to sport in six weeks. 
12 weeks with a uh, on a wobble board, 95% will get back. So only 5% at 12 weeks would be requiring to look at a surgical reconstruction. So it's a really important thing to know because a lot of people, especially in the army, are like, oh, let's get a scan. Oh, it's grade three. I'm going to repair it. And, and similarly, oh, wow. you know, a lot of, a lot what of would, what would be NRL the... players and stuff would probably be getting reconstructions because they're like, oh, I don't want to wait three what months. What would be the, um, the surgical recovery, though? Wouldn't it, would it not For an be, ankle restructure, would it not be twelve yeah. weeks at least anyway? Yeah, yeah speed yeah, eating up three months. But but well, I mean, if you're the problem is if you're that five percent who doesn't recover at twelve weeks, you're starting that three months then. Whereas if you're an NRL player and you want to play finals footy and it's you know round fourteen, um, do you do you like I would take the ninety five percent chance of being better in twelve weeks. But mm. you know some of them might might be like oh well you know. If there's a five percent chance I'm going to need surgery in three months, I may as well do that now. I and mean, yeah, but and, it's not my approach. Right, well, so. maybe ankle. It, it obviously depends number. on the situation. If you're not a, if you're not an elite sportsman, the decision is easy. You spend twelve weeks on a wobble board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, ankle injuries could be a whole other topic, but there's the whole mm-hmm. current the current trend of syndesmosis and stuff like that. And yeah, that's a different. Yeah, that's a, that's a different thing to to these sort yeah. of injuries. Yeah, okay. So what we've got there, we've lateral, got... lateral ankle sprains. Lateral ankle sprains is what I've just been briefly chatting about. Yeah, okay. So what we've got there, we've got load, optimism. You're testing my uh, my English level here. Vascularization and exercise. How'd it go? Yeah, uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Some would say that you're a uh, you're a uh, you're a teacher as a background. Well, Great yeah. Well, hey, hey, I don't I don't teach I don't teach six year olds that word. So you know, yeah, I sounded fair. it out. You know, like I looked, I broke it down. All right. Very so good. what we've got there, we've got peace and love as the as the acronym we should be looking at using. Now, is this something that is common knowledge to to your understanding? Is I mean, as I said, the last time I did a first aid, it was still ricer. Um, but is this something that you think is changing, or what's how how prominent no. is this acronym in your experience? So this was published in January twenty twenty. Um, so this is sort of tip of the spear stuff. So you do a first aid course, you'll get taught rice. You probably do a first aid course next year, you'll get taught rice. Medical students today probably still getting taught rice. So um, this is this is new sort of uh, stuff that'll be mainly in people who are looking at at, at uh, you know sports medicine, musculoskeletal medicine. Um, this is the the cutting edge, and it's and it's not it's not something that's been widely taken up. Um, but I haven't heard any any great uh, criticisms of it, other than uh, it's not, you know, we've always done rice, so we'll keep doing rice. So yeah, people learn about this, they do it, but there's still, like, you know, people get a lot of satisfaction out of popping a couple of ibuprofen or some Voltaren tablets and whacking some ice on things. So trying to get this into the sports trainer world is a, is a challenge because all of a sudden you've taken away you know, if I go to a sports trainer and I said, no, 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 no ice, no, 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 no Nurofen, um, you just need to um, tell them to be optimistic. What do you reckon they're going to say? Yeah, yeah. So there's a bit of resistance just because you're taking people's tools away. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, like a few, there's a few elements here that, that I wouldn't mind diving into on later reps, uh, especially yeah. around the, the general ice for, for full body stuff, uh, around the Definitely. optimism optimism as well would be another, another future episode I'd love to touch on as well. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to sign off for today. I want to give a shout out to yourself. We're going at the sporting doctor. You might yeah. do it because there's a dot in there as well, right? Yeah. So it's at the, so this is on Instagram, at the dot sporting doctor. 
All right. So give him a shout out, send a message to him. Uh, the other thing is ask questions. We, we would love to get into some questions from you guys here. So if you're in our Facebook community group, the Fitness Education Online Community Group, if you're not there, jump in and join it. Uh, if you have a question for, for an episode of Bro Science, we can dive into it. There's a bunch of stuff that as we do episodes like this, we'll have other things that come to mind on, on my own curious mind. And uh, But yeah, if man, you've got man, something... Me and Travis can can talk this stuff uh, so the cows come home. We'll, we'll consider you making episodes about stuff we're interested in, but... Um, despite us being the main listeners of our own podcast, we'd love to to be able to provide it to you guys. And I guess just to summarise today's talk, you know, peace and love. It's not, this is not, uh, the most important thing about, about medicine and healthcare is there's not one answer to everything. So don't, don't take away saying that I've said never use anti-inflammatories and never use ice. Um, uh, don't take that away. Take the key points that there's different approaches to things. Um, that doing the things the way that we've always done isn't necessarily the way that we uh, push forward and get the best outcomes for people. Um, and we just need to think, look at things holistically, um, but also take an individual response to individual issues. So just, just be mindful this isn't a, um, this isn't a super preachy, never do this, uh, wrap you on the knuckles because you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, rice is still a perfectly uh, acceptable approach and most people will get better um, on their own realistically and we're just there to do the do the one percenters to help them along the way um and then in terms of topics yeah love to you know there's lots of things i'm really interested to talk about um and we'll continue having a chat but uh more than happy to to get take some answers and then you know maybe once we've got a few up we can do a bit of a q a thing and and get a bit of uh bouncing back but just give us a heads up and we can do a little bit of a uh, little bit of digging, so we we give you the right answers. Yeah, awesome. So that'd be uh, in the Facebook community group, or hit Craig up on Instagram. Ask the questions there in the community group. Just hashtag uh, the Sporting Doctor uh, if you've got any questions. Could be injury related, hamstrings, knees, any of that good stuff. Um, whole heap maybe of stuff. A, maybe we should do a poll of a few different topics and see what people want us to do. Next. Yeah, the, the other one is the, the, the FIFA, the FIFA Eleven. I wouldn't mind diving into that one a little bit. Oh, that's um, one, yeah. there's, there's a few good ones that, that would be good to dive into. I want to so, talk about Theraguns. I'd love to look into Theraguns. We'll get someone on. I know. I think you've got someone in mind that we can get on for that. Yeah, yeah. Got a few things. So if you've got topics, if you've got ideas, things you want to test, things you want to hear about, guests you want to hear from, let us know. Um, Facebook community group. Instagram, any of those good things. Hope you've enjoyed this episode, uh, but we're going to see you again soon. Thanks for watching. This has been Bro Science. I am Travis, and that is Craig. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you liked this show, share it with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. For show notes and free training on how to grow your fitness business, visit www.fitnesseducationonline.com.au. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Well, check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you while you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. 
Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.